I have learned a lot, but I feel pretty confident that there's not enough movement. That people are using embodied moments and these like embodiment experiences, but there is just like a dire lack of like actually stirring the energy of our whole body. And a healthy relationship to emotions is it starts with being able to feel bodily sensations. If you want to deal head on with some difficult things and social injustice and some of the the heavy things that we are working through and rifling through and trying to reimagine, leaving space for some full body invigorating movement and play, I am confident will get us to a better end result than just trying to sit in the same spot we're in and try to figure out how we feel. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement, brought to you by Ivolna, hosted by Marie Janicek. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the 45th episode of This Thing Called Movement. I began this podcast a few years ago because I felt that we were not taking enough time as a community to really dig into the depths of movement and how it shapes us, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and its incredible, powerful ability to shape us in how we relate to every other aspect of our lives. And in today's episode featuring Marlo Fiskin, we get to dive into some of these undercurrents in a new way, and I am so excited to share this conversation with you all. For those of you who don't know Marlo Fiskin, she is one of the most sublime, phenomenal, beautiful movers I have ever seen. Not only is she an awesome mover to behold, but Marlo is also an incredible teacher, guide, and educator in the movement space. In addition to 30 plus years of dance training, Marlo has taught for over 22 years in over 70 countries. She is best known for her innovative teaching methods and accolades in pole dancing. However, her talents extend far beyond pole. She is the creator of Flow Movement, a movement system designed to help anyone tap into the benefits of flow state experiences. What really sets Marlowe and even Flow Movement apart from other teachers and methodologies is the devotion to sensuality, connection, and playfulness with our bodies and the environments we play in. So I'm sure you're already getting a sense for just how exciting and powerful this conversation we had together was, as both Marlo and I have so much overlap in so many ways. And one of the highlights of today's episode was our deep dive into the topic of sensuality. Sensuality is such a fundamental part of connecting with our bodies, and yet it is so often left out when it comes to engaging in movement and specifically the dialogue around our movement practices. And so I was really excited to dig into this topic deeper with Marlo because she has such a rich understanding of sensuality and it is such a key component of her teachings and her practices. Some of the things we unpacked in today's episode were just understanding what sensuality means, learning some of the distinctions between sensuality and sexuality, and understanding how they may or may not overlap. As we dug into the importance and the benefits of sensuality, we also discussed this concept of bringing our whole bodies forward into our movement practice, including the awareness of our genitalia. And this was particularly mind-blowing for me because 
that sensorial awareness of our bodies doesn't have to be sexual, but so often because our genitalia are known as sexual organs, we forget to connect with them when we are moving our bodies and may inadvertently be leaving an important part of that equation out of the room. And Marlo discussed some wonderful ways that we can begin to tap into our awareness of this region of our bodies in a non-sexual but sensual way. Another piece of this conversation that I loved so dearly was part of Marlo's unpersonal journey into where she is today and how she has always been led by fascination rather than by striving. I am so excited to share this episode with you all. There were so many powerful gems that forever changed how I see my relationship to body movement that I'm so excited to explore, and I know it's going to offer those same sort of lightning bolt moments for you. But before we tune in, I wanted to take a moment to share some exciting announcements with you all. So we just finished a behemoth of a content drop in the Evolna Digital Studio. And if you haven't had a chance to check us out yet, we highly recommend heading over there and giving us that risk-free 14-day trial to begin to tune in, tap into your body and its innate intelligence, and discover more of what movement can do for you. This new batch of flows and movement patterns were all created with your ideal state of being and intentions in mind. Whether you want to feel energized and empowered, grounded and centered, revitalized and refreshed, or soothed and relaxed. And you can go into the platform and filter based off of what your intention is, how much time you have, or what time of day you want to center into your practice. So we would love to move with you and can't wait to hear what revelations and transformations open up for you as a result. So without further ado, let's get back to this super inspiring conversation with the one and only Marlo Fiskin. Hello, Marlo, and thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us here today. Thank you for having me. Though we only met one time. One it was a, time. a memorable meeting. <laughs> it was. It was a lot of ooing and gooing on the floor and then learning some crazy acrobatics from you, uh, like a backwards one-handed cartwheel, I think. <laughs> uh, well, let's dive right in. So go ahead and share your story with us. Where did your movement journey begin and how did it lead you into your work today? I often self-describe myself as a lifelong dancer because I don't remember a time where I wasn't dancing. And that's pretty evident from any photos or videos of me as a very young child. <laughs> I, I did start taking dance lessons when I was something like five, but that didn't last very long because my jazz, my teacher, I believe I took jazz tap and ballet first, as many people do. All I really remember about her is that she had a haircut like David Bowie in Labyrinth. <laughs> which there's actually a poster of right next to me, ironically. Um, yeah, she had very much had that haircut. And I remember at five years old feeling like I didn't like her teaching style. <laughs> so I already had a, a distinguished taste in what I would like out of my movement classes. That and, um, you know, the, the, the group of kids who were about seven, they got to dance to pump up the jam and the kids who were five and six had to dance to Grease Lightning. So I was I was offended that I couldn't dance to cool music and I didn't like the way that the class operated. So I told my mother I was quitting and instead I took it upon myself and just would bring kids from the neighborhood over to the house where we had a costume room and they would be like full scale productions very, very frequently. And this is mirrored later on. I, I I went back to dance at some point and became professional at 18 that I was working dancer doing a lot of like music videos and commercial type work. And then I started pole, pole dancing at 23 out of curiosity. A friend mentioned it and it, it just was very apparent that there was something there I needed to explore deeply. That was like, there was just a big Yes, and a sense of how much potential there was that, that had not yet been explored at that time. 
And I took a few classes and I really didn't like the way the classes went. So I quit <laughs> and I took it into my own hands. Um, and I, I got two poles and I just trained furiously and, and learned what I could from YouTube and, and began teaching. So, so, so yes, I, I've been teaching movement for about 21 years now, just in gyms and dance studios and all over the world. And, you know, that ranges from things that are a little embarrassing that you end up doing when you're a group exercise teacher to <laughs> things that are really fulfilling, like my work, it, both in pole dance and, and with floor and guiding people in guiding all people into a state of movement that that they might say I felt like I was dancing for the first time I don't I don't necessarily call my classes dance classes because of the baggage that people have with that word but yeah that uh like that's a good summary of how I got here <laughs> well my favorite piece of this story is sort of this pattern of when you went into a new medium or you were you were starting to like expand your your movement fluency. Anytime there was a teacher that was not clicking for you, you 100% listened to that and found a way to shift. And I bring this up because I think this is something that a lot of people go through where they're interested in something, they go, and maybe the teacher is actually not the best fit for whatever reason or the community or the space. And it's so normalize that if you don't feel good there, then there's something wrong with you, right? But the truth is, is, is there's a reason something doesn't click for you. And it's important to listen to that. And it's important to allow yourself permission to say no to things that maybe aren't clicking and give yourself that opportunity to explore elsewhere. Absolutely. I I, I thank my mother for that. I feel like I was, I was like guided into, you know, follow what feels right. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. So grateful for that and completely resonate with your advice there. Yeah. I mean, the teacher, especially when you're entering a new space, who is teaching is so important. And this is such a delicate balance and not all teachers are created equal and, and everybody has their own unique way of bringing information to the table. I know that's something that is such a standout component of your work and your teachings and everything you've developed is like by my experience and what I've seen and how I watch people present their work, you're really one of the the most attuned teachers out there, attuned to so many details and willing to really dive in and explain them all. So it makes perfect sense to me hearing a little bit about your story and your history that this was something you were tapping into even from a very young age. Thank you. It's It's important to me that to be to be open to all the possibilities and i think when i when i sense that someone is not and they're like this is how we do it here and there's there's no there's no wiggle room for that or it's mm -hmm. not expressed as they're we're doing it this way because and giving a great reason for it i my alarm bells go off <laughs> my <laughs> my sense of freedom is is uh gets a little hot <laughs> needs to leave yeah yeah. Oh, that resonates with me so deeply. Well, I think this is actually a perfect segue into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is anybody who's familiar with you, and for those of you who aren't, you have to go check this awesome human being out. So Marlo is one of the most phenomenal movers I've ever seen in my life. And what I would love to hear from you is what you feel has been absolutely essential and instrumental in bringing you to this supreme level of body connection, awareness, and movement fluency. Ooh, Big one. I, I, mean, sheer, I think there's, there's a, there is a truth of the sheer number of hours of accumulation, you know, that it has been my lifetime and there's never been a question of do I really want to move this much? Do I really want to be a dancer? You know, there, this never, this never fluctuated. Sometimes I might do it differently, but so there's just that lifelong passion, which so fortunate to have found at a young age and not ended up with a, a strained relationship to it as many people do at, at some point. And mm. I think that's because I have continually followed my interest and followed my fascination like what's fascinating to me here right now and not not doing a lot of striving 
as, as strange as that sounds to be someone who would be considered like a high level mover, I, I'm not like very competitive. I'm not very, this is where I need to go and I have to do it in a very linear. I don't, I don't set goals that way. It's, it's really a moment to moment following what intrigues me. And I think that that kind of keeps the romance alive, <laughs> the romance of my passion, which has accumulated into, you know, being good at what I do. I love that distinction of fascination versus striving. And this is something that I saw as such a key perception change in my own practice and my relationship to my body and movement when I took out this need of striving towards something specific and instead shifted my awareness into just how to be in the moment and get curious, be exploratory. In that place, I actually was able to wring out so much more enjoyment. And I love that you threw in the world, like keeping the romance alive. Because I, I do think that's exactly what it is. Movement can be such a, a beautiful love story. I remember actually talking to Mike about this back in the first episode of this podcast. And in order to keep any love story alive, you, you have to be willing to sort of be in that unknown space and be free and come into it without any specific expectations. Yeah, right. What goal-oriented love <laughs> tends, <laughs> tends to not work so well, right? It doesn't leave space for the the oscillations that, that, that come and go or the spontaneity. So yeah yeah <laughs> so time to pivot out of that goal-oriented love and into a little bit more like <laughs> expressive and like sensual love which which brings me into where I wanted to really kind of hone in today uh sensuality I think is a topic that I don't know about everybody but for me Historically, I always associate it to sort of sexual experiences. And as I've gotten deeper and deeper into my personal movement practice and my methodology, I've realized sensuality is so deeply woven into just having a body. And it's such an important part of how we relate to our bodies, especially through movement. And it's not often explored. So I'm curious to learn more about this from your level of experience and perception how do you define and understand sensuality in relationship to our bodies and movement? That pause is both necessary and intentional. I sometimes like to understand a word by first considering what the antonym is or the opposite of it. Mm -hmm. And the, the opposite of sensuality is asceticism, which is severe self-discipline and avoidance of indulgence. Um, it's, a, it's a word that's religious in root, but it's also a word that does describe how a lot of people approach their, like, their fitness or their movement practice of like discipline, persistence, not playing outside the lines. And, you know, so pleasure being its opposite is, is about going to that which feels feels good that which brings a sense of warmth many when people describe an experience that was pleasurable like there's often a feeling of warmth whether it's like warm-hearted or that their body felt warm and tingly some of the metaphorical language people use to express a sensory, whether something that they see, that they, they taste, they hear, being in a bath, you know, this feeling of warmth, immersed in warmth, you know, allowing yourself to, to soften. And when you're, when you're doing something that you just wish to prolong, it's something that you, you're like, this is something I'd like to remember rather than what is next like can i can i draw this out so that i am savoring it and remembering it there's often i think a bit of a bit of surrender to it and and perhaps the surrender is because we tend to be tightly wound more more bound we we need to have a bit of 
surrendering, allowing ourselves to be held by the space around us or by the ground beneath us in order to even have access to these drips of sensuality, which even the word alone can bring up for people some, you know, some hesitation or the feelings of, I don't have access to that. You know, I, oh, I don't know how to do that, or I'm afraid of that. But, you know, it, there's, there's very small gateways into a, a sensual experience. And that's, it can start with just turning your attention away from anything that's not good. So if our focus is drawn towards what's, what's not good in our life or in our body, if our focus is going to the pains and the problems, finding something that's even just kind of a neutral feeling. And then that, you know, if, if you, if you are in a, a, a scan of your body, our tension is more abruptly pulled towards the discomfort. And then we might notice like, oh, but you know what? My, my belly feels okay right now. You know what? It actually feels pretty good. And so like opening up to just to noticing what is, what is good. So dialing towards sensuality means that the, the messages from our body, they don't have to be screamed at us, that we're able to hear them. We've left some space to, to be sensitized to them. That's, I mean, I'm so excited listening to all this. I feel like I have six questions or six leads I want to go with now. But the first one that feels really resonant for me is, is what you mentioned about, you know, allowing ourselves that space to soften. And I think tapping into our bodies and, and being able to have a more sensual experience of ourselves is inherently so vulnerable. And especially in a world where we've really prioritized our intellect and our thinking minds and, and technology also continues to feed those aspects of ourselves in particular, it can be really scary and even disarming to even start making that journey in to connecting to your body. And like you mentioned, it's very normal for the first thing to come up to be the discomfort and specifically the aches and the pains and the places you don't want to be. But practicing this level of tuning in and tapping into the power of sensuality is really something that is a practice. It's a skill. It takes a little time, but the more you can devote yourself to it, the more you can actually start to excavate this hidden richness that's waiting under our fingertips. Absolutely. And I I think when people uh, imagine sensual movement, you know, there might be certain movement forms that, that come to mind or certain ways of moving, which are often slow and fluid, maybe like a swaying pelvis feet shifting rocking on the floor it has this watery windy or earthy quality to it there's a there's an an earthenness to sensuality because that is the way we come into the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) a a baby and how it responds to the mother is like a very sensual experience in terms of it being pleasurable and, and that that being what is most nourishing but i think about what even when i'm gonna do something like a strength training activity, I still approach it with seeking a lot of sensory feedback and kind of playing, if not flirting with it. Like I'm, I'm having a memory of me at the gym and I was at a, there was a you know squat rack with a pull-up bar, but I'm kind of like gripping on to the, the bars on the sides and pulling away from them and feeling my feet and feeling my hips and feeling this structure that I'm about to engage with and I'm about to challenge my strength but I do kind of like soften and settle in order to fully arrive at the activity I'm about to do so though I softness is the tremendous gateway to it slowing down and and when I'm teaching and inviting people into sensuality so much of it is the is like unwinding and letting go but it can be brought into activities that, that we don't necessarily associate with it as well. Like I'm, I'm looking for, yeah, sensual strength training. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, this was something I think as a dancer, it, it took me several years outside of dance to realize that, that this 
acute sense of sensuality I had that I was weaving into everything was not necessarily something everyone else was accessing. Because I remember very clearly doing that, going from, you know, my pre-professional, professional career in dance, starting at Equinox, getting under barbells for the first time, and then being like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? But <laughs> so excited about it because I was getting this whole new level of sensory input I'd never had before. And I was feeling this like electric charge in my body and and even the intensity of the sensations, which I think is common for many people to run from. But for me, there was something that was so sweet about it. Even when I was at failure or like not able to complete a rep well or, or you know, struggling to get through something because it was so intense. I, there was there was also a, a deeper appreciation for it just because on some level, I think this has felt so innate to me that whenever I feel things in my body, it's my body speaking to me. And it's a reminder that I'm alive, I'm here, and I'm and I'm well to have this organism that I get to be in relationship with all the time. And that awareness, I know for me personally, has been such a game changer and, and really been, I think, the foundation for how I'm able to navigate being in, in my body and like really create a healthy, fruitful and fulfilling relationship with it through all my movement practices as a result. Yeah, that, that sense of being alive, that's a, a phrase that stands out to me when I think of favorite life experiences. And they were often quite uncomfortable in the moment like being in freezing rain, climbing a mountain, getting beat in the face with hail, right? You would, I, you, I would not in that moment be like, gosh, this is, this is sensual, but it is, <laughs> but it really was. And it is just like, it, you are invigorated and it may be, uh, you know, you can tap into that sense of awe and appreciation and just reminded of your vitality and your aliveness and how impermanent that is in those moments so yeah I feel I'm feeling like I'm, I'm kind of giving asking for people to to broaden their perception of sensuality not just to what at first appears very tender though that's a very important place for us to go for, mm -hmm. for ourselves and for others but that we can also approach that which at first is maybe uncomfortable, but when we like dig into it a little bit more, there's probably something pleasurable in there, even if it's just that it's making you aware of the fact that you're alive. hundred <laughs> percent. And I mean, like for me, from not my nerd vantage point, when you look at the term sensuality and you also look at how we experience the world. We experience the world through our senses. Like even the thoughts and the emotions that we have, they are in response to what is happening sensorily around us, whether it's something we see, smell, taste, touch, hear. And the more we can really allow ourselves to indulge in that inherent framework and in that inherent fabric, like that's where we get to really experience sort of this hidden magic that exists in life, the magic of having a body to be able to like, get up and walk around you you never really appreciate something like that until you can't do it anymore and I think what sensuality has brought to me is it's an ability to really attune to these seemingly mundane moments but see them as something that's incredible in their own simple and special way without necessarily having to have them ripped from me to then understand where they fit in the scope of my life and how relevant they really are. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I noticed for many people, there is this direct association between sensuality and sexuality. And you kind of alluded to this before that when people think about sensual movement, they usually look at it through a certain vein. But in your experience, how does sensuality and sexuality differ and how do these two principles also overlap so I'll, I'll i'll go into some you know the spectrum that i experience them on but i think it's it's a doozy of a of a question or an inquiry because it's so subjective and it's informed by really complex historical and, and cultural layers so 
for me, my kind of gradation is that that which is enjoyable and nourishing and then into a more sexual experience, that which is nourishing my erotic being. When things go from warm and fuzzy to wet and wild, <laughs> pretty obvious. <laughs> and that, it could be, doesn't need to be, that could be more of an, a felt sense, not, not, mm-hmm. not like that's actually uh, what you are, you are witnessing in a scene, but that, that feeling. And even in terms of sound, like when, if you were eating something that you enjoy, you're like, hmm, ah, or even, you know, you're down dog and you're like, let some noise out. And you're like, hmm, right. And then there's a, there's a pitch change in moan when something goes into more the realm of sexual. I could do it for you here, but I don't know. I'm sure your, your, re- your listeners could figure out what I, I mean, a, li- a little more. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, whatever, whatever the, the sound is for you. Mm. Um, you know, from, from more like harmonious to rapturous, mm. but there's the thing, sensu sensuality confers pleasure. It means pleasure, but the word sexual doesn't have anything to do with pleasure. Otherwise we couldn't have phrases like sexual violence. And I think that's, that's an important thing to consider. And so there's, of course, there's a gray zone, but for many people, there's kind of like a, a line, a point at which something passes from this, this movement or this body that I'm observing just went from acceptably sensual to sexual. For some people at that, there's a moment at which the, the spectator becomes like uncomfortable for some reason. And that has everything to do with their conditioning, their culture, their social location, what they've been trained to think of conceive of as acceptable um so it's it's a good point of inquiry i think for everyone to become curious about where you draw the line with what you see Mm -hmm. and why do you draw the line there is that your idea is that your truth or is that something that was imposed upon you yeah, the reason I asked this question is partially for selfish reasons because this was a little this was a, a a thing I was sort of struggling to negotiate as a female who was a dancer who really loved tapping into sensuality but was also watching what was happening on the viewer side how quickly people would make that shift like you mentioned there's always that point but I love that you mentioned like as the observer that's sort of your responsibility to like look at and examine and and understand because it is coming from so many other places through conditioning through experiences through religion through generational information and sometimes even trauma right yeah so it, it was really challenging for me for a while when I was going into movement exploration to allow myself to dive into sensuality, because I think part of my conditioning and some of how I was raised, I was taught to be very fearful of sexuality in general, Mm -hmm. fearful of exhibiting it as a woman, fearful of uh, exhibiting it too frequently so that then I would be drawing unwanted experiences to me. Like a lot of that storytelling was layered into my awareness. And so as a mover, when I had the impulse to move for pleasure, I did find a lot of the stuff reminded me of like sexual overtones. And I remember Mm -hmm. being afraid of it. And if I'm honest, I think that's a huge part of what's been my resistance in trying a medium like pole Mm -hmm. is because to me, there is such a common sexual association with it. And I'm aware that that's not necessarily the truth of the matter, but how that has perhaps shifted my ability to go in and, and connect with this kind of experience because of some of that historical background. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, that's a, that is a common you know, hesitation, if not fear for, for people. And it, it, the fear is, what will other people think of me? And I am scared to experience this. I, I don't feel safe in experiencing it, even alone, right? Even non-sexual self-touch in privacy is still intimidating for people. And that might be, you know, like bringing your hands together and just with, with the lightest touch, slowly dragging one finger along your palm or 
very slowly grazing the skin, which is the soft skin of your forearms together. That I don't think people would, most people would consider that sexual. But to, to really slow down and to, to focus on it is, that is a, could be a, an action as a sensual experiential exercise, but it, the, the feelings of that you're maybe not doing something important or productive come up for people or what will happen if I start to enjoy this, what's comes next. This is a gateway to all the things I've been trained. I shouldn't do. Yeah. But you know, I think that, that there's, there's this other realm that, that I don't even like to really use the word like sexual, but it is including the, the full body, including like your, your genitals or your felt sense of gender in your movement. Because when, when we're like trained dancers, you're probably going to get cues on like every part of your body, except, I mean, now in, you know, maybe higher level dance, you start to hear cues about the pelvic floor. Okay. So that's good. So you're allowing people to have an awareness and maybe actually sense the movement that's happening in the pelvis, the sex organs in movement. But it, I'm finding it more and more peculiar that we we like leave out that region of the body in our dance and in our fitness. And I think including it is not necessarily sexual, though it may be. I mean, it's, it can be wonderful if you're doing uh, like a rocking cat cow when you are feeling the movement of your pelvic floor, you might feel what's happening in your genitals and it can be like both very informative and incredible somatic experience and it could be sexually pleasurable but it doesn't mean that it's performative and it 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 doesn't say anything about you moving by having a, a felt awareness of your totality that is such an interesting thought that I had never thought of, but now I'm going to be sitting with this for weeks, I can tell, because <laughs> hopefully you'll move with it. <laughs> yes, no, and that too, because I'm thinking like, as I've, as I've been tapping into my own ex- exploration of sensuality, and even sexuality, and, and allowing myself to be better acquainted with these two facets of myself in my body and in movement, you know, I think my closest association has always been like feeling that sort of prana energy that runs like through what we would call like the chakra centers and and learning to connect with that. But your point about how when we're moving our bodies, we're so aware of all these different pieces of ourselves. And then we leave this other part of our bodies that's actually so significant out of the equation. And I love that you mentioned that bringing that along is not actually sexual or necessarily doesn't necessarily have to be, but it is a piece of us. And it is a very important part of our bodies that it's worth considering. How do we bring it to the table? How do we invite it in? How do we let ourselves be more whole and inclusive with our entire physiology when we are connecting with ourselves in that way? And an image just came to me of like the person going to the gym or to the dance class with like a leash and on the leash is like your, you know, your genitals, your, your sense of sex, sex organs, sense of self, sense of felt sense of gender, like behind you, like the shame stuff, you just kind of have it on a leash, but you don't really, you don't, it's not with you when you're moving. And if, if it's an area that many people are seeking some sort of healing in whether it's for pelvic organ dysfunction or trauma or just that this complete sense of disassociation and what happens when we're disassociated from a region of our body um, so that if, if we just simply had it with us and integrated it in what we're doing like how would that change things and in you, and as you mentioned, like the, you know, energy channels and like the central channel and meridians and, and we hear about like perennium, but I do encourage people to really get a felt sense of your actual anatomy. Or if your gender and biological sex don't feel completely aligned, come up with the felt sense that feels most true for you and like build that sense and bring it into your movement because 
if there's a sense of shame or an unwillingness to incorporate some part of us when we're moving, I think that we could look forward to so much possibility if we did bring it along. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Have you, has there been anything in particular you've been playing around with in this dynamic for yourself? Mm. I, I do quite a lot of wide exploratory squatting and lunging that looks quite a lot what you might see in some of the ener- energetic arts, like in Qigong and some of the Chinese mm. martial art forms. And I've, I've done a, a little bit of that. And as I, as I do it, there's, they tend to mention the energy of the, how the pelvis is relating to the earth and kind of bring that with me. And I feel into shape change just as I would with any part of the body. You know, if I'm reaching an arm up and I'm bending sideways, I'm feeling into what's lengthening and what's shortening. And I don't exclude any part of my body from that sense. Like mm-hmm. what is, what is more open? What is more closed? What is tighter and what is looser? And, and that is, you know, our, our sense of contrast uh, in our, in our state, but it's also something that could be a, a creativity tool, right? To, to go, can, can you make this area more closed and more open and, and let that lead you? So being in quadrupedal positions and, and wide squats where we have the opportunity for the base of the pelvis to be more open as a starting point tends to be a really good place to, to slow down, <laughs> to settle, to, to stop like lifting up in a way and gripping and to notice. It's, it's much easier to sense the base of the pelvis when there's more, there's more openness there. <laughs> yeah. Well, when there's like some stimulation already going through there, because you like that wide squat position, you're already mm-hmm. going to like feel a lot of charge in that area, just getting into it. Uh, quad- and like you mentioned, quadruped, it just like naturally opens and sets us up to be able to feel into that a little bit more. Yeah. I'm like already thinking about other ways I can explore, like what games I can play. I'm so excited to, tap into this i mean you know playing with the the like the bony reference points of the pelvis is a is a, is a good place to start and, it, and it's wonderful because it's i'm going to say everyone but with respect to the fact that some people may may have body forms that there's a there that maybe both sits bones a pubis or a coccyx aren't present as they typically are but you know that's pretty much everybody that we will encounter is going to have those reference points and just paying attention to the the relationship between them, how they're how they're moving, is a really great place to start because it's easier to sense bone, right, than, than yeah. soft tissue for the most part. Being on a big ball, you know, the big ball, the gym ball, that's a really <laughs> a good place, ball. right, to feel <laughs> to feel. Of course. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be such an eye opening. Uh, sort of world that gets unveiled for me. I can already tell. I'm so excited about this. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. (laughs) So getting deeper into sensuality, what are some of the other ways you find that it helps impact and also fosters our health and well-being? Whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, the whole gamut is open here. I, I think of uh, us as having many dials you know, and then the sensuality dial, when it is dialed down, our sense of exuberance is also dialed down and your sense of vibrancy is also dialed down. There's a, there was a book called Presence by Amy Cuddy and there was, she, she mentioned this kind of, presence as having like the taxi light on like the 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 taxi light is available and it's stuck with me as when you see when you see someone they come into a space there's the like the light is on the energetic projected light and that is somebody who is turned on sensually that that could be sexual turn on but does not have to be but it's like the lights are on so that stands out to me and that we you know that we that's a a health indicator, like when the lights are on, we got to turn the lights out sometimes, right? Get our, get our rest in retreat. But if we have trouble ever turning them on, that's an indicator that there's some, there's some imbalance there. This sensuality is like also an alternative to the, 
the verbal mental domination that makes so many people unhappy because the the self-critic and the ruminating mind that can't be turned up at the same time as sensuality the mm-hmm. one or one or the other <laughs> the, you know they're the kind of the, the seesaw you yeah. the, the the pleasure side can't be up at the same time as a as a self-critic they're mutually you know, exclusive right yes Right. Likewise. And I keep going to what sensuality is not, because I think we're very familiar with what will being concerned a lot, being urgent a lot, being distractible and anxious. Like, how does that affect our well-being? I think we're, we're familiar with the consequences of those states uh, over time and just having these windows of sensuality with these these moments of pause or in in your movement practice it's like a an opportunity to steer away from those states a bit but i i I like to also think in outside of lists of benefits because i think that in in this culture in this western dominant culture Far too often, people are looking for like, what's the list of benefits? What will it do for me? How will it? How will I get ahead if I do this exercise or this practice? And like that is part of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I instead I like to think, what will it do for others? What will it do for others? Because sometimes it's hard to get ourselves to do things when they're a little bit scary for ourselves. But when it's done a bit more altruistically and we realize that, you know what, sucking it up and just trying this thing a little bit can affect others. And it does. Because when we show up and we are at ease in our body, when your nervous system is regulated, you are at ease in your body, it is contagious in the most possible sense of the word contagious so showing up as you're welcoming people's sensual being welcoming their their sexual being welcoming it all it creates safety and it's you know to to heal from whether we we always want to consider it chronic anxiety or shutdown or the word trauma to heal from that you have to be able to experience these windows of what is good and what is pleasurable to start to find what those are for you and make a little more space for them. So it is for us, but it, it, it isn't just for us. Yeah. I mean, all of that so spot on, you know, I love that you highlighted our seeking of these benefits as part of the problem. And and another thing that jumped up for me is when we're always trying to think about what's the positive outcome, like, what am I going to get for this? That's already putting us into that sort of results driven, Mm -hmm. that striving that we talked about at the beginning here versus putting us into that open, curious, like, and, and like fascinated space of just discovering and, and so much about sensuality, like you mentioned, it, it just, it pulls us out of that antagonistic sort of analytical overthinking loop that our brains can go into that anxiety and stress can perpetuate it allows us to move out of the fight or flight mode of the nervous system into the restorative reset mode of our parasympathetic nervous system which there's also been so much fascinating research on what actually happens in our brain when we get there the coherence of our thinking, the our ability to solve problems, get creative, innovate, and, and just have a smoother sail in our experience, whether we're in something that's familiar and easy, or even if we're in the unknown, right? If we're if we're navigating new territory. Absolutely. Yeah. How creative do we feel when we are, I'll say anti-sensual? whatever whatever anti-sensual is yeah that like kind of clinical clinical contained needing to do things the way we've been told to do things like that is and like not a not a creative feeling place yeah and and most people I've known (laughs) 100% and then the the other part about like 
this isn't even just about you. It's about everybody. And we all know that experience when somebody steps into a room and they are lit up, they're turned on, right? That vibrancy is flowing through. You just feel so nourished by them. You feel so happy to be around them. You feel uplifted in their presence. And I love that you mentioned that because this is something that I always talk about all the time and I'm obsessed with is that when we we can light ourselves up and we take that time to really take care of ourselves, we are actually showing up better for everybody. We're putting ourselves in a position to be more open, to be receptive, to be loving, to be able to embrace the world around us, to embrace people around us. And I think that when we're looking at a world right now, when there's so much that we want to change when we're seeing so many flaws. This is such an important step in being able to show up at a new level of mind and a new level of body to actually be able to cultivate change to create a more inclusive, loving, and accepting world. I'm with you. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, this is a great lead in to something else I'm always fascinated about. So What are some of the most surprising and or revelatory realizations you've had about the connections between emotions and the body in the course of your work? Play is the way. (laughs) That comes to me. Play is the way. That when it almost, I feel like almost no matter what you would like people, wherever you would like people to get to, wherever you want them to arrive by the end when there is an an aspect of play and and preferably very early on i think you're far more likely to find a positive result and 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 play could simply be moving for some people you know to stand up and just like move your hips side to side to a beat is far more playful of an act than what most people do so i don't necessarily mean that we need like quite the game Although I love that, that it play play could just be honestly is something outside of the ordinary. Like if you're to look around and be, what's something that I would not normally do? That would be to play, to play with the possibility of a different now, even being a little bit mischievous. Like to, you know, here I'm I'm on this call with you, but and I'm sitting down, but it'd be really mischievous if I like lift up and I put my butt in the screen. You know, those of you watching couldn't see, but like that would that was was a strange thing to do on a podcast. You know, (laughs) like, and now I feel like oh, I feel more alive, and that was fun. Um, so, but and then if if I or someone else, then we want to get them to a place where they're able to settle and to listen to their body and to identify emotions, I think that we're far more receptive to it once we've stirred it up a bit, gotten a bit more of the the pump over this past year or however many years it's been now since <laughs> we've been online a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, like many people, I, I have dove deep into learning from so many incredible people on the internet and many, many embodiment or somatic type classes and I have learned a lot but I feel pretty confident that there's not enough movement that people are using embodied moments and these like embodiment experiences but there is just like a dire lack of like actually stirring the energy of our whole body and a healthy relationship to emotions is it starts with being able to feel bodily sensations. And it's like, if we're kind of sitting in our own stagnant bath water of experience, oh, <laughs> we've got to like get up, empty the tub, stir it up and play a little bit, no matter how calm or serious the work we can get there. If you want to, if you want to deal head on with some difficult things and social injustice and, and, some of the the heavy things that we are working through and rifling through and trying to reimagine, leaving space for some some full body invigorating movement and play, I am confident will get us to a better end result than just trying to sit in the same spot we're in and try to figure out how we feel. Yes, I. <sighs> 
I feel like you've just explained like so much of my life in those last few <laughs> moments. Um, because this was something I was so confused about getting into the training space. And honestly, I was confused about it even as a dancer. Because for me, improvisation, this is why I loved it so much. It was the space for me to take whatever I was feeling and do something with it, whether it was like release it like or have a catharsis or transmute it and reform it or amplify it and grow it. But anytime I was dealing with any level of emotional turmoil, and, and sometimes it was really intense, sometimes it was not so intense, but I always went to movement to process that and to integrate it. And it was very confusing to me becoming a trainer and stepping into that space and discovering nobody's doing anything with this. How what? I feel like we're missing such an important piece of who we are and and part of what movement is as a medium. And, and it's real it's real power, it's real potential in nourishing us and inspiring us and helping us to expand and grow. Yes, I, I just like mentioned, I started going to a gym here and it's actually been maybe years since I've been in a, in a gym. I don't have full access at the moment. You know, it's always quite fascinating. I, 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 I'm a major in anthropology, but I, I get to feel like I, I'm being the anthropologist in the gym, stepping in to observe the human behavior. And then I'm the, the <laughs> I'm the specimen at the same time, because I'm certainly going to be the one doing the weirdest thing. And, and not, I'm not trying to get attention by all means. I hope that no one cares about me doing what I'm doing, but of course I am you know, going to be scanning for how are other people responding to me doing what I what I just need and, and need to do if I am here to take care of my body, my whole body. And so that's always a, an, an interesting experience, right? The, the, the gym environment, the, even dance classes. And, and you were speaking to improvisation and, you know, that's actually such a small, I'll say like improvisation that's not, supposed to fit into a specific stylistic model mm -hmm. it's, it's like a very small part of the the world that is dance like and then many people understand free movement as they they need to be a dancer and i'm like actually you're at an advantage if you didn't study yes. dance for many years you're actually at an advantage yeah <laughs> because you don't have all this you don't have you don't have as much information about right and wrong as told to you specifically through forms and alignment you you're you have like maybe a societal societal perception of like weird or unattractive but you you might not be like oh but my elbows rotated the wrong direction and my wrist shouldn't be bent at this way if I'm dancing to this style of music and there's too much finger spread and you know like all of these infinite micro adjustments that the 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 dancer might start to police their movement with when they're informed by you know their their training so yeah yeah it's such an interesting thing that you bring that up because yes i think free form movement improvisation is such a small part of the real dance world in fact what most people think is improvisation in the dance world is really somebody just sort of aggregating a bunch of different styles and finding a way to sort of create their own style a little bit more fluidly without as much thought. But like the true seed of of being able to let go and and just let it rip and not not be sort of boxing the movement into any ideal aesthetic. I don't I don't think I've ever really seen that get explored in dance. I largely remember exploring it on my own solo mm -hmm. in a dance studio after about a year and a half of learning how to work through those very same barriers you brought up that most dancers are negotiating when they're trying to move freely. Yes, it's a, I, I don't think I really got, ended up in an environment that encouraged a total cutting loose like totally cutting loose until I'd already been dancing for over 20 years yeah maybe more you know <laughs> that's a, that's a long time to never have been like guided into dropping all the shit not within the context of a piece of choreography not like you know give it your style or put your soul into it not like choreography just to 
ah, be, yeah. just to be, to make sound, which, you know, I haven't mentioned, but I think that that is a, actually a, a big aspect of allowing yourself to have a sensual experience is allowing yourself to also to have sound, to make sound, like even like a gentle hum in movement. And that is sorely lacking from movement education, movement classes. You you can't have a free a free body that is restricted in terms of vocalization. And that would be like, oh, you can't be an exquisite vocalist and have a restricted body. Like the and vocalists know that. And the the training is often about like finding and really attuning to your body and being able to manage how you are organized and what's tense and what's free. But yeah. it's like in dance, you know, we are we kind of keep keep the sound in and really manage that and I'm saying dance and it's it's inappropriately broad. My my experience in dance in <laughs> this United States of America was that. But it's yeah, it's 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 really is missing, I think, from from our movement. Um, and in in other cultures, like in many African traditions, like there's no word for song and for dance. There's like oh, because they're always intertwined. They're yeah. they're like they don't they don't get separated from the, the song and the dance and the drumming. It's it's all the felt experience or the, the same experience. So here we can oh, I do this, but I don't do that. And mm. I think that's unfortunate because that's an important gateway to to being okay in our body, to opening up to pleasure. And I think it's it's rather easy to imagine how somebody might have difficulty experiencing sexual pleasure if they cannot make any sound whatsoever. If you would only if you're not allowing yourself to breathe, you know, and 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 I say this with the utmost sensitivity of like how much of a, a challenge this is and we're conditioned to be like so quiet and what sounds can we make that are appropriate and not, you know, even in the gym, the person who grunts, you know, like you can make a little noise, but like not too much noise. And so since you can't make too much noise, you can't make too much effort, particularly for female presenting people like the, the the dudes lifting the weights like they might be able to like ah oh, but then for other people to do that it's it's inappropriate like societally so so yeah I just wanted to give a little give a little voice to the importance of also sound so like humming humming is a both a very settling experience and also I think a very sensual experience to just like hum and rock or hum and walk it's a very celebratory little act well I find I have found through the years I've been tapping into sound so much more especially when I teach for that same reason I, I noticed within myself like everything's vibration and if we're going to talk about tapping into our bodies a lot of what's happening with our sensuality is noticing the details of, of vibration mm -hmm. whether it's through our muscles whether it's through our breath with our heartbeat through the ground and when we tap into sound, we, we have a much clearer signal, a, a much clearer tracking mechanism for how vibration is moving through the body. And then we're set up to be more attuned to the details of that sensual experience, both from the outside in as well as from the inside out. Mm -hmm. Let that sound out. Oh, <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. Uh, well, I hope we have a lot of people walking away from this, not only Going, humming oh. and, and connecting yeah. to the, the awareness of their genitalia when they move and, and so many other things. I, I feel like I'm going to walk out of this as a whole new human in my movement practice now. Humming with so happy genitals. So it sounds like a sounds like a recipe for planetary healing yeah <laughs> you know that's what we're here to do that's why we come on to podcasts right <laughs> oh marlo thank totally. you thank you so so much for joining me here today this was such an absolute pleasure uh i enjoyed every minute here and as we start to wrap things up i always like to open the floor for any sort of final thoughts or anything else that you would like to leave the listeners with as we say goodbye? Oh, yeah. A lot of what we don't allow ourselves to do comes down to a fear of how other people will perceive us. 
and in particular that we're afraid of being bad or even just being mediocre at things. We're afraid to be mediocre, to be bad, to be weird. But I think that actually being <laughs> mediocre to bad at things and doing it kind of joyously and, and relishing in it is unbelievably refreshing and affirming to other people. And, and it kind of goes back to that again, like it might be hard for us to suck at things, but if we can do it with a good attitude and like a playful attitude, it just gets other people to feel the same, a willingness to step forth and to finally, finally, maybe for the first time ever enjoy being in their body. If they see that it's possible to be happy and enjoy sucking a little bit, it can yeah. be an actually an incredibly fun place. So um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to suck. Throw celebrate your suckiness sometimes, like because it doesn't. It's not really sucking. Yeah, that's not even the right word. But it's like that's how we. Well, and the truth is, like anybody who's a master at anything failed the entire way there, right? I mean, how many blooper reels do I have of me like slipping <laughs> and falling and like all the stuff that happens to me in movement, you know? And like, you, it's just such a natural part of it. And when we're so afraid of that, then we hold ourselves apart from being able to experience all of it. And that's part of it. And that can be fun, too. Definitely. It's nice to try things that, that it would almost be impossible to be good at too as, as group activities where there's, it would be very hard to ever get good at it. It's just ridiculous on, on its foundation. So kind of levels the playing field of no one will be good at whatever it is that we're trying. And then it, it becomes quite fun. So as people move back into to social situations, I, I encourage you to think about yeah, how can you bring more like movement and play and some ridiculousness and mischief and something that everyone can just be kind of laugh at how much they're failing, like how much la like a, a group shared laughter at our at our inability to pull something off most of the time is I think really, really healthy and nourishing and healing. Oh, such a perfect way to wrap this up. Thank you so, so much. We should fail at something before we go. <laughs> what are we going to fail at? What are we going to try to do that's the possible? Um, let's see. Let's see. Uh, I'll, um, I'll try to balance this water bottle on my head, but on top of a book. All right. All right. All right. Hold on. What I, do you I have? I like have you an apple that I know okay, is Okay, good. Gonna... So anybody who's listening, just start finding stuff around you and then try to stack things on your head and then... And then if you get it, you have to shake some part of your body. <laughs> I can't even get two things to stack. This is good. And then you make it now. If it, if it, oh, you can sing a song, balancing things on your head. We're doing pretty good. So <laughs> good. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, uh. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. You can find contact information and all references made during the show in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and spread the love by sharing with family and friends. If you want to learn more or would like additional support in your movement relationship, head to our website at evolna.com. Be gentle, be generous, and be good to yourself. And have a beautiful day.